0: If you would please open your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 10, we are going to look at the second half of that chapter. And while you're looking for Proverbs 10, let me commend our various Sunday school classes and our midweek classes. It has been very important to our staff and volunteers that we would post pandemic enter into a very strong fall. Uh, Thank you so much for all of the volunteers who are helping us uh, to do that. There are many opportunities for you Sunday morning and Wednesday evening for your edification and growth in grace. Uh, Please avail yourself to the many opportunities here. We're in Proverbs chapter 10, and little theologians, uh, thank you, by the way, for those who uh, sang at the beginning of our worship service, but little theologians, I'd like for you to draw a picture for me. Draw a picture of a box, and I want the box to be locked, but not locked closed, locked open. Do you know that everything that you say, everything that comes out of your mouth actually reveals your heart? You are a box locked open. Well, I'll ask you to uh, listen for that uh, imagery in this passage. We're in Proverbs chapter 10. We'll begin at verse 17 right after we pray. Let's pray together. Our Holy Father, we are grateful that you speak to us, and we ask that you would forgive us for taking your holy, sacred word for granted. Forgive us for not finding ourselves in Your Word repeatedly over the course of the week. Enable us by Your Spirit to improve our Bible-reading habits. We thank You for speaking to us this morning through the preached Word. Would You use my lips not for my name's sake, but for Your name's sake and the promises that You share with us in Your Bible. Do this, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. So Proverbs chapter 10, let's begin at verse 17. Whoever heeds instruction is on the path to life, but he who rejects reproof leads others astray. The one who conceals hatred has lying lips, and whoever utters slander is a fool. When words are many, transgression is not lacking, but whoever restrains his lips is prudent. The tongue of the righteous is choice silver. The heart of the wicked is of little worth. The lips of the righteous feed many, but fools die for lack of sense. The blessing of the Lord makes rich, and he adds no sorrow with it. Uh, Doing wrong is like a joke to a fool, but wisdom is pleasure to a man of understanding. What the wicked dreads will come upon him, but the desire of the righteous will be granted. When the tempest passes, the wicked is no more, but the righteous is established forever. Like vinegar to the teeth and smoke to the eyes, so is the sluggard to those who send him. The fear of the Lord prolongs life, but the years of the wicked will be short. The hope of the righteous brings joy, but the expectation of the wicked will perish. The way of the Lord is a stronghold to the blameless, but destruction to evildoers. The righteous will never be removed, but the wicked will not dwell in the land. The mouth of the righteous brings forth wisdom, but the perverse tongue will be cut off. The lips of the righteous know what is acceptable, but the mouth of the wicked what is perverse. This is the word of our Lord. Well I'm pretty sure that you hear over and over in this passage that this is a passage about how to use our mouths, our lips, our words, and, and how to use our mouths, lips, and words in wise ways. And Didn't you catch the many references to lying lips, restraining your lips, lips of righteousness? Did you catch the tongue of the righteous being choice silver? Did you catch the mouth of the righteous bringing forth wisdom? King Solomon apparently has a lot to say about what to say. But this passage is not just about speaking. It's about listening as well. And if we are not careful, we'll read this passage only as a commandment to get our speech under control. Well, read it the way that I was taught by my parents growing up as a kid to watch my words. You were taught that by your parents as well, I'm sure. If I spouted off at my parents, if I missed an opportunity to say yes, sir, to a, a colleague of my dad's, or if I cussed at all, which right on through junior high was enormously common for me, if I did any of those things, bad things would happen. And the baddest of the bad things that would happen, as delivered from my mom and dad, was reserved for lying. If any of us kids lied, the afternoon for all of us was utterly ruined. Now, this passage doesn't motivate us to control our lips or mouth or tongue by the rapid application of parental discipline. This passage isn't even just about controlling our words that leave our mouths. This passage is about more than just our words. It's about God's words. You see, the passage is more than just about the words that, that exit my mouth. They're about the words that enter my ears. This passage is about speaking and it's about listening. Just as an example of this very quickly before we begin, would you look at verses 17 and 18? You see that uh, heed instruction? Well, that phrase isn't about speech, is it? That phrase is about listening. But of course, moving on in the passage of verse 18, lying lips is about speaking. Listening and speaking are at the beginning of this passage. And then at the very end, if you'll jump down to verse 29, verse 29 is about knowing the way of the Lord, who God is and how he works. Do you see that in verse 29? That too really is about listening, learning about who God is. But then look what happens in verse 31. It's about the mouth of the righteous bringing forth wisdom, and that's very much about speaking. It's as if King Solomon is correcting our speech by correcting what we know about God. Correcting our speech by correcting how we listen. Do you want to control your speech? I want to control my speech. Do you want to speak more carefully? I want to speak more carefully. Good. Control your ears. Listen to God more carefully. That seems to be the key in King Solomon's mind to being able to control our speech. Words were meant to know God and to tell others about God. Let me say that again. I think that's the theme of this passage. Words were meant for us to know God and to tell others about that God. Words entering our ears and words exiting our lips. Well, I want to talk about this passage in just two sections, the first section being verses 17 through 21, words that are meant for others. I think that's primarily what's happening in verses 17 through 21, words meant for others. And then King Solomon makes a shift in verse 22 to the very end of the chapter, and it's not as much words meant for others as it is words meant for me, how I know who God is. Well, first of all, verses 17 through 21, words meant for others. You know, I've been in numerous situations where I'm with friends in the church, and a gospel opportunity presents itself, maybe in a restaurant or in a uh, Uber ride, and I'm, and I'm there with Christians And the Uber driver or the uh, waiter uh, says something that shows an interest in things spiritual, and the gospel opportunity is right there. Have you been in a situation like that? Well, I'm a pastor. Of course, my friends know that I'm a pastor. And when I'm in situations like that, I actually can feel my friends nudge me forward and they scoop back just a little. I feel that. I'm a pastor. If there's a gospel opportunity, I should be the one speaking. But why? Why? Now, of course, that argument doesn't happen right then and there. I talk about Jesus. But I feel that. And perhaps you have felt that as well. But if you look at verse 17, verse 17 says that every Christian communicates the Christian faith. Look, I understand the one who heeds instruction in verse 17 is actually a Christian person. This is a wise person, the righteous person. That's the one who heeds instruction. This is the person who is on the path to life. That's verse 17. And this is what King Solomon wants for his son, his son to be a young man who heeds correction. Now, if the son doesn't heed instruction... If he rejects correction, he will not only be a fool, but you see what it says there, he'll lead others astray. Do you see that? He'll lead others astray. That's the risk, not simply being foolish for not heeding instruction as a Christian person, but actually leading others astray. The righteous son is the one who heeds instruction, walks on the path to life, and leads others down that same path. That's what King Solomon is saying is true for every Christian. Your words are heard. Others pay attention. You make an impact on the lives of others with your words. Your words should lead others down a path of life. I think there's another example for that at the very end of uh, the passage, verse 21. You'll see, I think, there the same thing. Do you see that the lips of the righteous do something? What do they do in verse 21, those lips of the righteous, the one who has heeded instruction, the one who is on the path of life? Well, the lips of the righteous feed many. Your words, Christian, and my words are meant to provide guidance on the path of life, even food for the many. That's what our words are meant to do. Now, here's what this dad is saying to his son. If you listen to my words, you will have something to say to others. And this is true for each of us here this morning. If we listen to God, we are empowered to lead others on that path of life. This does not mean that if we heed God's instruction, we'll know how to explain the gospel in perfect detail. If we heed instruction, we'll uh, automatically lead people to Christ. But what it does mean is that our life and our words are meant to be taken in by others. That's true for everyone who professes faith in Jesus. You'll recall, of course, in 1 Kings chapter 3, what King Solomon's gift of wisdom was meant for. What was that great gift of wisdom come from the hand of God meant for? God gave Solomon wisdom because he had not asked for it himself. He asked for wisdom for the sake of others. God gave Solomon wisdom that he might speak to others and govern God's people well. But we could say that for Solomon's wealth as well, couldn't we? God gave Solomon riches because Solomon didn't ask for riches, Solomon was concerned for others. See, here's the the principle that God has taught King Solomon, and Solomon is then teaching us. The gifts that come from God are meant to show others God's own glory. That's what the gifts that come from God are meant to do. Solomon's wisdom and Solomon's wealth are meant to show others the glory of God. The queen of the south, when she meets King Solomon, is stunned not because of King Solomon, but because of God. And your life, saints is to be a life that shows others God's work in you. Your words are meant for others, that they might see God, that they might might be led on the path of life, that they might be kept from going astray, that they might have food. You're feeding them. You see, that's an important principle that we have to have under our belt before we begin to understand the admonitions, the practical outworkings of what we find here in Proverbs chapter 10. And I think there's two of them that very much stand out. You'll see that beginning at verse 18, we see lots of references to lips and mouths. King Solomon does have a few things to say about our speech. And there's two things that I want you to see. That our words for others should be honest and tenderhearted. That's the first. Our words for others, words that show the glory of God, should be honest and tender-hearted. And secondly, our words for others should be humble and sparse. Humble and sparse. Let's begin at verse 18. You see there, don't you? The one who conceals hatred has lying lips, and whoever utters slander is a fool. Now, this is a a difficult verse. It's a bit confusing because if you could read it in the Hebrew, um, it would be very rhythmic. There's a lot of uh, S sounds uh, in this single verse. The author is being very, very poetic, almost poetic at the expense of understanding this verse in English. But here's what I think this passage is telling us. I think my own parents, maybe yours as well, missed an opportunity in their parenting by only disciplining the lie and often missing what was going on in my heart at the time of the lie. I'm pretty sure that Karen and I have missed these opportunities in disciplining our own children as well. Trying to discipline the lie, but not disciplining what's actually going on in the heart of the liar. The person in verse 18 is clearly filled with anger, but rather than seek relationship with their brother or their sister, the anger is vented. The individual in verse 18 gets face to face with the person with whom they are angry, and they vent that anger to his face, and if they don't do that, then they slander them behind their back. You see there's something going on in the heart of this individual. This individual is seething with anger and conflict. Working through that conflict particularly with those whom you love, those in the life of the church, it is very difficult, isn't it? King Solomon is saying that words can be actually put to good use even in these cases in which you are very angry at another person. King Solomon seems to be saying in verse 18 that we have to be honest, not in a way that vents or slanders, but in a way that draws us closer to our brother or sister with whom we're angry with. And this is indeed hard. But it's important. We shouldn't lie. We shouldn't seethe in our anger, vent before our brothers and sisters, slander them behind their backs. The Apostle Paul says that anger and wrath, bitterness and clamor, and slander, it has to be put away from our relationships. That's what we're commanded to do as Christians. Now, how do we do that? Well, Paul says at the end of Ephesians chapter 4, I think this is a wonderful place to look in comparison to Proverbs ten eighteen. At the end of Ephesians chapter 4, Paul says that we are not to be merely honest, but kind and tenderhearted and forgiving. And when Paul says that, he knows that relationships are very difficult. But Even still, our words should be kind and tender-hearted and forgiving. Well, do you struggle to do this when you're angry with a brother or sister? I struggle to do this. To be kind and tender-hearted in your anger, that's very difficult. The temptation is to vent or to talk to others. How can I do otherwise? Look at Ephesians chapter 4, the very, very end, Paul actually tells us how we are able to do that. How can I relate with my brother and my sister, even in my anger with kindness and tenderheartedness and with forgiveness? How do I do that? Well, Paul says that you're able to do this because this is what God has done for you in Christ. That's what Paul says. Yes it's difficult. But you're able to do this because of what God has done for you in Christ Jesus. We show others the work of God in us, not by allowing unbridled anger to control our words. Doesn't that sound beautiful even as it is hard? This is what Jesus has done for you. He's every right to be angry with you. You have forsaken God in the fall of Adam and yet He comes close to you. We'll talk more uh, about that. But our words for others are to be honest and tender-hearted words. Our words for others are also to be humble and sparse. This is what happens in verses 19 and 20. You see in verse 19, when words are uh, many, transgression is not lacking. King Solomon says that prudent people restrain their lips. These verses are about being humble in our speech to others. To fill the conversation with our own words is borderline wickedness, so it seems to King Solomon. You see that the more words that pour forth from your mouth, the more likely for those words to be displeasing before God, transgressions. And you need to stop. You need to slow down with your speech. How can you view yourself as so important when your words are meant to do this? Show God's glory. That's what your words are meant to do. That's why you're called to be forgiving and tender and kind-hearted even in your anger. Your words are meant to show forth God's glory. People who talk incessantly, what are they usually talking about? Is it not themselves, their tastes, their opinions, their advice, their experiences? Very often, a profundity of words has more to do with the speaker of those words than the glory of God. King Solomon says that we are to err on the side of using few words. This is not a praise for those who are introverted. You see, watching your words needs to be deliberate. That's what the word prudent there means, deliberate Watching your words is not simply falling back upon your natural disposition to be an introvert. You're not simply a a person who is naturally holier than another person. Just because you're introverted, you too need to watch your words, use them uh, prudently. You think that Jesus uncontrollably vented his anger, slandered others? If you think that, you're not reading your Bible clearly. You think that Jesus spewed words without prudence using a a massive number of syllables just because he couldn't control himself. You need to read your Bible more carefully. Jesus says of himself that he is gentle, that he is lowly in heart. He was humble even to the point of death. I'm afraid it's us Who are the argumentative ones? I'm afraid it's us who are difficult to get along with. I'm afraid that it's us who are always angry, and I'm afraid that it is us who are always talking. Look at verse 20 real quick. You may not catch this, but look at it very quickly. Do you see that tongue and heart are in parallel? Do you see that in verse 20? Tongue and heart, you can circle both of them, they're in parallel. The tongue says something about our heart, but the tongue of Jesus is meek and humble and tender and merciful, and so is his heart. And we are called to use our words to show that kind of heart. We're commanded to be meek, and we should be. In an argument, we don't have to win. In a conversation, we don't have to dominate. We can lose the argument. We can speak with very few words. And this ought to be to us a great freedom and a great gift from God. Because in doing so, we are showing others something. We're showing them the path of life in Christ Jesus We are giving to them food, the food of Christ in their lives that can help them control their speech as well. Well, the words that I speak and you speak matter. Words were meant for others, but in verse 22, things change. Words that are meant for me. James says that we are to receive with meekness the implanted word, James 1 verse 21, and that's where King Solomon would like for us to turn next. Verses 22 through 32 are all about what God has to say to us. You see, speaking well depends upon listening well to God. If we don't believe certain things about who God is and what He has done for us in Christ, then our tongues will not do what they are meant to to do by the one who created that tongue. To give us the landscape of this passage, notice that verses 22 through 30 are all about promises that God has made to those who are wise. These verses are all about the worthiness of God. Do you see that, 22 through 30? These are words uh, that uh, God gives to me because they are meant for me. And God's promises to me matter in my speech. They matter in your speech as well. You see, at verse 30 to 31, the shift, it turns again to speaking. My brothers and sisters, if you don't believe certain things about the God who is real, the one true God who makes promises to you in Christ and carries forward those promises, if you don't believe those things, it'll impact your speech. Let me offer just a couple of quick examples When we are desperately afraid, isn't it so hard to be calm? It could be financial stress, employment stress, relationships going sour. It could be real uh, health problems when we are desperately afraid. What what can calm us? A theologian by the name of Don McLeod gives an illustration of the man whose profession it is to climb the top of high towers and change bulbs or change connectors or uh, whatever he does when he's up there. He climbs hundreds of feet into the air day in and day out. Does that person have faith to do their job? And if so, what is that faith? They have faith in not some kind of philosophical notion of faith. They have faith in real things. That person climbing that tall tower has faith in the metal, has faith in the rungs, has faith in the guide wires holding up that tower, has faith in the anchor that they are holding as they climb that ladder. Faith in real things. And so often in our Christian lives, we try to have faith without knowing the object of that faith. We have faith in faith rather than faith in a real God who has done something real for us and is doing something real in us. It seems to me, if you would look at verses 24 and 25, that we find there a description of the kind of perilous lives many of us find ourselves in, even this morning Do you see in these verses that there is some kind of dread that King Solomon is talking about? He's not specific, but there's some kind of dread in the world today that terrifies people. There's some kind of tempest that passes over us, parks over us. Many of us feel right now as though we're on the top of a tall aerial and the wind is blowing. And is our world like that right now? Is your world like that right now? Who will care for us in these times? That's what this section of Proverbs 10 is about. We need to understand that our words are meant for others, but to do this, we need to listen to His word to us. We need to understand clearly God's words that are meant for us to know Him and to believe in Him. God's words were meant for times like despondency and fear, tempest and dread, Do you want to have a strong, unyielding, tenacious faith in God? Then study Him. Know Him. Read Him. Pray to Him. He's real. And King Solomon encourages us to speak well by encouraging us to listen well to the one true God. You see what King Solomon does for his, father, for his son in this passage? He tells us who God is and what he's done for us. You need to know this, son, or your words will never proclaim the glory of God. Look at God's promises. Verse 22, The blessing of the Lord makes rich, and he adds no sorrow with it. The Hebrew force of this verse is that God alone Makes rich. Only He can help us. And this is the focal point of living life when we are afraid. You see in verse 27, the fear of the Lord prolongs life. In verse 28, the hope of the righteous brings joy. And verse 29, the way of the Lord is a stronghold to the blameless. And finally in verse 30, the righteous will never be removed. If you profess faith in Jesus, these are verses that you need to have emblazoned upon your head and your heart. This is a reminder of who you are in Christ Jesus, the goodness of God, the strength of His promises. He will carry them out. If you'll recall all the way back in the beginning of the passage, verse 17, heeding instruction is how one pursues their day on the path to life. This is that instruction. They're the promises that God has for you. When Solomon says instruction, he means the promises that God makes to us to be with us in dread and in tempest. This ought to lighten our spirits in all circumstances and it ought to enable me to speak in a certain way. The biblical test. Do you remember what happens in Numbers chapter 13? Numbers chapter 13 is when the spies return from Canaan. They were sent into Canaan and they come back with a very mixed message, don't they? One of my favorite preachers is Charles Simeon who preached in the middle 19th century in Cambridge, England. And there's a story of a man whose name we don't know, we just know him as Gurney, who visited Cambridge one day and took in a worship service at Holy Trinity Church in Cambridge. And Gurney uh, writes a letter to his friend reporting what he heard from the pulpit of Charles Simeon. And he references Numbers chapter 13. He said that Simeon was like the spies of Canaan. But he's like the spies who returned from the promised land with news of hope and promise, and sweetness, and encouragement. That's what it's like to listen to a Charles Simeon sermon. Gurney says that Simeon was like one coming forth from Canaan, well laden with grapes for his own refreshment, and for all of his brethren. He didn't bring a message of dread of giants who live there and don't want to be displaced. He brought a promise of cheer That's what Simeon's pulpit was like. That's Christian speech. What good things has God not done for you? Maybe our speech is not... Honest and tender-hearted, because we've forgotten the gracious promises of God. Maybe our speech isn't humble and sparse because we are fighting for our own safety in dread and tempest and not relying upon the strength of God's promises. Maybe we're not speaking well because we're not listening well. Would we as a church be the kind of church whose mouth of righteousness brings forth the wisdom of God? Would we as a church be a church whose lips of the righteous know that which is acceptable and call it out? You and I were meant to communicate the love that God has for us and the love that is offered to others. Words were meant for us to know who God is that we might use words to tell others about who God is. Let's pray that this would happen by his grace. Our Father, we do ask that you would give us a closeness to you and an understanding of you, that not just our words, but our thoughts and our actions are controlled by a desire to show forth your glory. Praise be to you for your promises in Christ. Amen.